Last March, Fortune ran an article about how the housing market wasn't normalizing and that Zillow predicted the wildest home swings were yet to come. Since then, housing prices have come down, but the cost of a mortgage has gone up significantly. We've seen piece after piece talking about how broad and severe the housing crisis is. It's not just an issue that affects cities. Suburban and rural areas are all experiencing housing crises at various scales as well. On top of this, Cities and regions are all failing to meet their climate goals, partially in response to increasing vehicle miles traveled from growing commutes. Housing prices in the U.S. are completely out of balance. Affordable housing is difficult to attain in entire metropolitan areas. There are few options for middle-class households and even fewer options for working-class residents. We need a reset on the American dream from one that is sprawling, unaffordable, lonely, carbon-intensive, and exclusive to one that is community-oriented, multi-generational, family-friendly, and sustainable, one that is inclusive, one that is accessible and adaptable. Perhaps most importantly, one that is climate-adaptive and resilient to events exacerbated by climate change, energy spikes, heat domes, cold snaps, and extended wildfire smoke events. In this week's episode, we'll be talking about a personal favorite of mine and one solution, just one, not the, that could provide a new path towards boosting housing opportunities for the middle class. This week, we are talking about Baugruppen. Welcome to the Livable Low Carbon City podcast, the show about the interconnectedness of low carbon living, decarbonized buildings, and quality of life. I am your host, Michael Eliason, architect and founder of Large Lab. Here at Larch Lab, we believe that Baugruppen, German, literally translates to building groups or a form of self-developed urban co-housing, offer an appealing and more affordable alternative for those wishing to live in cities, to remain in cities, near their friends, near family, and near their jobs. Baugruppen are intentional communities in multifamily buildings, so condos, apartment buildings, row houses, townhouses, developed by the very residents that will be living in them rather than developers. The elimination of developer profit and marketing costs can result in significant savings from 10 to 20% in cities like Seattle over market rate housing. They also offer the chance for residents to select the amenities that they want, the level of sustainability and climate adaptability that they would like to prioritize when government mandates are insufficient and the market is completely unable to provide it. Baugruppen can offer accessible, family-friendly homes for a mix of household types and generations. They can contribute to a high quality of life and well-being. And frankly, they're pretty rad places to live. I was first introduced to the concept of Baugruppen when I was working in Freiburg, Germany in 2003. In Freiburg, the district of Vauban, a former military base that the city came to be the owner of, turned into an opportunity to develop a new neighborhood, a new eco-district for the city to alleviate the city's housing crisis. The citizens and the city decided to co-create this neighborhood to accommodate the type of living arrangements that the citizens wanted. The city opted to reserve about half of the parcels for Baugruppen. And so when these parcels were put up for sale and they were not put 
put up for sale at market rate. There would be instances where multiple parties would express interest for the same parcel of, of land. Instead of a bidding war breaking out, the city opted to look at other factors. Which scheme was the most diverse? Which scheme was multi-generational, more ecologically sound? Which scheme incorporated more innovative types of living? Mind blown. What an incredible and equitable method to build a city. The city of Freiburg's council even provided facilitators to help a blossoming Baugruppe procure the legal and financial representation for their project, and they would hold that land until the entitlement was completed and the project was ready to move forward. See, the city realized it would be better to have families remain in the city from a social cohesion standpoint, and as well as an ecological standpoint, rather than having them move to the suburbs, right? So it's about fostering more cohesiveness and resilient communities. Variations on this theme have become commonplace, Several other cities are now and have been offering land for Baugruppen through various schemes. These cities include Munich, Leipzig, Tübingen, and Vienna. Uh, the city of Hamburg, their Department of Urban Development and Housing, has an agency that is specifically devoted to Baugruppen. This agency is called the Agentur für Baugemeinschaften. This agency helps groups form. They help them understand the process. They coordinate open houses at completed projects so that potential bow groupies can see what they look like, see what it's like to live in them, experience them. They will coordinate the land for them. Since the city itself is one of the largest landholders, it will periodically release land for social housing, for Baugruppen and other community-oriented projects. And the city has a stated goal of utilizing at least 20% of that land specifically for Baugruppen. And so instead of selling the land at the highest price, they'll hold many competitions where projects are evaluated across several criteria, group diversity, economic diversity, ecology, affordability, mobility, and innovative living forms. In effect, the city has induced a process that adds multi-generational, affordable, family-friendly housing based on values over profit. And some of these projects are just, they're incredible. Mass timber mid-rise buildings, stacked fourplexes incorporating affordable co-working spaces. There's just an incredible diversity to these buildings that you just don't see in market rate development. But it's not just mid-sized and large cities that are seeing the benefits. Smaller cities are starting to realize it as well. Kirchheim, which is a suburb of approximately 40,000 residents outside of Stuttgart, had no history with Baugruppen. But they did have plans to redevelop Steingau-Quartier, a nine-acre parcel near the city center where 350 homes were planned. The city worked with residents and groups who had experience with Baugruppen. In the end, they opted to reserve many of the parcels for Baugruppen. The district includes social housing, market rate housing, and in the end, about 15 or 20 different Baugruppen. The aim of the project was for a socially mixed, colorful, and livable neighborhood. And so the Baugruppen parcels were sold based on these concepts. Again, privileging values over profit, socially inclusive housing, ecologically friendly buildings. They've induced a way to get new mass timber buildings, more passive house buildings than they would have typically seen. And Kirchheim is not the last suburb to do this. The issue of land and how that land is used, I think, plays a critical role in how we develop our cities. And so for even a small city to realize the benefits of this form of living, this housing diversity, you know, to me, that's massive. This is the way we should be developing cities, right? We shouldn't be doing transit-oriented development that is 90% market rate housing, most of it being single bedrooms or studios, very little affordable housing, very little family-friendly housing, very little open space, right? It offers the opportunity to rethink how we develop our cities and, frankly, who we develop our cities for.
this issue of housing diversity is one which we'll be coming back to quite a bit. The housing stock in the U.S. is not very diverse, right? We have mostly detached, increasingly unaffordable single-family houses or small apartments in increasingly larger and more banal market-rate buildings and very little in between. Meanwhile, household formation today is diverse and varied. Single-parent households, multi-generational households, LGBTQ households, and we should have housing options that reflect this diversity. More specifically, we should have more affordable housing choices to accommodate these shifting demographics, encourage community, and enhance solidarity. So what if housing choices were not largely limited to increasingly unattainable single-family homes, most of which, frankly, do not meet modern codes, are not accessible, and are not climate adaptive, or, on the flip side, small apartments and massive buildings, but rather a broad mix of homes covering everything in between. If you could co-design your own multifamily building your own unit in your own building, what would that look like? What amenities would you like to incorporate? What values would you like to prioritize in your building? Would you prioritize community? Would you prioritize ecology? Would you find a balance between the two? Baugruppen offer a path towards doing that, and Baugruppen can be developed across a wide spectrum of housing typologies, right? They can be in duplexes, row houses, multiplexes, small apartments or condos, and even mid-rise buildings are a natural fit for Baugruppen, especially if they're incorporating point access blocks. This allows for the types of development that result in the needed and mixing mix of housing and unit types that we have. Not just studios, but three and four bedroom homes, even more. Not just flats or apartments, but maisonettes, two-story units, live-work units. There are even opportunities around mixed-use Baugruppen. Many European cities are going all-in on eco-districts with diverse housing types, recognizing it is better to have a broad economic and social mix of residents rather than the sterility of largely upper-class singles, as we see in transit-oriented development in the U.S. And so these cities are incorporating not just Baugruppen, but social housing, multi-generational housing, and that is housing for young and old, singles and families, cluster Wohnungen, cluster apartments, large communal units, as we discussed just last week, elderly housing, inclusive housing, housing for single parents, housing for couples, cooperatives, temporary worker housing, and more, right? You could imagine a new district where all of these buildings are within the same one or two blocks of each other. In fact, there are eco-districts that are doing just this. One of them is the Merveda Canal in Utrecht, which even at the block level is going to have smaller buildings with a much broader economic and social mix of residents than you would see even in a typical eco-district. One of the questions that I get asked about Baugruppen are what really holds them together? What is the special sauce of Baugruppen? And I think part of it is the participatory planning process, right? The getting to know you aspect of co-designing, co-planning your own home. But a big part of it is the amenities. And these are the very things that make compact urban living much more livable and frankly, much more tolerable. There is no standard for amenities and it varies pretty dramatically based on size or values of the Baugruppen. Smaller Baugruppen might not have much of any space in the way of amenities. Perhaps they're really just a way of co-developing a project and staying in the city. There are some really interesting projects that are townhouses with shared gardens. Most Baugruppen have shared gardens or courtyards, and many also have guest suites. This is the thing that I love about 
the guest suite of a Baugrupa is that it can serve multiple functions, right? It's that flexibility that we should be designing into the buildings that we live in. And so that guest suite, it could serve as a short-term rental to offset building costs. It could be a teenager suite for older teens to have a space of their own. They could be used for student accommodations, whether that's students at the local university or perhaps one of the residents' children is home for a break and would like their own space. For those interested in aging in place, it could also double as a caretaker suite so that residents could stay in their home and community longer. And after the experience with COVID, it could also function as an isolation room. Other amenities common in Baugruppen include community rooms for events and get-togethers. One of my favorite projects is the R50 in Berlin, which features a large double-height community room that can be utilized not only by the residents in the building, but by the wider neighborhood as well, You know, further connecting those residents with their existing neighbors. Bike rooms for the storage of prams, bikes, cargo bikes are also very common as our workshops. I have seen several Baugruppen that incorporate music rooms. As a parent with a child learning to play sax, having a space like that where they could practice on their own, do lessons, or impromptu jams with their friends would be priceless. In the city of Vienna, several of the Baugruppen even incorporate a sauna. These are amenities that we don't really see in a lot of American buildings, but if you think about the kinds of spaces that communities need, that families need in urban settings, there's some really interesting solutions. There are even car-free Baugruppen. As a car-free parent with two kids, the concept of living in a car-free building, it kind of blows my mind. In fact, one of my favorite Baugruppen in Berlin is a project that is designed specifically for family bikers, for cargo bikers, and it incorporates elevators that you can actually roll your big bike onto and roll it directly in front of your house to get your kids or groceries or whatever you're carrying right into your house. And it's a really amazing project. It has a massive courtyard as well, and there's nothing like it in the United States. I field a lot of questions about the legal form for Baugruppen. In Germany, these often take the form of an organization similar to an LLC, a limited liability corporation. And frankly, that seems to be the likely route for projects in the US. It's pretty standard for the formation of a group specifically for development. However, there are also Baugruppen that have formed as cooperatives as well. Typically, they're realized as condos, although some are done as rentals. There are others that are hybrid, offering both rentals and condos. But the financing around something like that could be significantly harder here in the U.S. The participatory planning is crucial for laying the foundations for the success of the Baugruppe, right? It brings the residents together early in the process, dealing with how to come to consensus and what their buildings will look like, what values it will be oriented around. Often there'll be a core group that gets the project started. And then as the group grows, tasks can be delineated to subgroups and decisions can be made down the line. But there's this cohesion that forms in the, the getting to know you phase and the co-planning determining how decisions will be reached. What method of decision-making will you be utilizing to make those decisions? Several Baugruppen utilize sociocracy. It can be a lot to take on, but all of the groups that I've talked with over the years really feel that this is a better approach for what they were looking for in terms of housing, in terms of community. And frankly, they knew that it was something that the market could not provide. There was no market rate development that was going to offer the very things that they were looking for. And more specifically at the price points that they could afford. And this is definitely a concept that can be transported to other countries. England and Austria now have Baugruppen. There are several Baugruppen-inspired developments in Australia, including the incredible Nightingale housing. There are groups that are 
attempting it in the US as well. However, it is likely in high cost cities that a hybrid approach will be needed. That is, it's not generally feasible for a group of middle class residents to come together without significant capital, without lands, to really put together enough money to hold a parcel for several years while their project gets entitlements. All right, so it would be a process where the majority of the project would be flushed out and then there would be the allowance for slight modifications with residents around spatial reconfigurations, finishes, window arrangements, etc., as the budget allows. I think that this approach, this hybrid approach, could also provide an interesting niche towards more innovative projects that the market is unable to deliver. And this is what we're trying to do at Large Lab. And ultimately, this is the path that we've also ended up at with our own Bow Group here in Seattle and may roll out for other projects locally down the line. Yes, folks, that's right. I am not only an advocate and architect for Bow Groupin, but I am also a Bow Groupie. Another question I often get is around financing. This is, to put it bluntly, probably the hardest part of the equation in the U.S. Banks in Germany are familiar with this concept. Bow Groupin have been around for 20, 25 years, and banks are willing to finance these types of projects. There are also various types of banks. There are development banks. There are cooperative banks whose very mission is connected to financing development, such as Baugruppen. We don't really have that here in the U.S. There is one cooperative bank. Their terms for construction financing are not really amenable to a group that is not wealthy. And so I would love to see a federal push for development banks to fund projects like this. Think about the possibilities. Family-sized, community-oriented, climate-adaptive, passive house, mouse, timber, mid-rise, baugruppe, affordable to the middle class. You would think that this is the very thing banks would be interested in financing, especially since this is a group that will continue to grow and continue to largely be priced out of housing markets. It blows my mind. This should be a slam dunk. So to anyone out there who is listening, perhaps you're a social venture capitalist or you work at a values-driven bank, Maybe you're just a billionaire interested in building communities rather than buying internet apps and burning money. Give me a call. Let's figure out how we can scale this idea. So Baugruppen, I think, are great. Will they solve the housing crisis? No, it's not a silver bullet. They're just one of dozens of approaches, like social housing, like eco-districts, like cooperatives, that cities and states should be fostering and incentivizing for more affordable, resilient cities that are serious about reducing social isolation. So at Large Lab, we know the route towards more inclusive, affordable, and sustainable cities includes community-oriented housing. We believe that the construction of decarbonized passive house Baugruppen could be a major win for all involved, green jobs, high-quality climate-adaptive buildings, comfortable living environments, low-carbon lifestyles, and most importantly, affordable homes. We believe, based on conversations we've had with groups on project tours in Regensburg, Vienna, Berlin, and Freiburg, that they would also result in happier and healthier residents. Baugruppen are a values-driven proposition to address the growing housing crisis in the U.S. rather than a profit-motivated one. Residents organize around a central theme and are able to plan how they would like to live, where they would like to live, what kind of place they would like to live. If you would like to know more about this wonderful form of dwelling, please reach out and let's see how we can collaborate. All right. Lastly, a few bits of housekeeping. First, uh, Large Lab just hit our one-year anniversary. Baby steps, yes. But I like to think we're helping pull the discussion along in some critical areas. Housing, how we plan cities, 
how we build, how we design buildings to be more livable, more climate adaptable, and so on. We've got some cool things lined up next year, and we'll start incorporating interviews into the podcast this coming January. So I'm looking forward to talking to folks about some very interesting and varied topics, and hopefully you will as well. Second, I got notification just today that my proposal for a book on eco-districts was accepted by a publisher. I am really excited that this landed where it did, and this dovetails so much with what has already been discussed here on the Livable Low Carbon City podcast. So look for more information on that in the coming months. And third, we're coming up on the end of the year and it has been a wild one when it comes to climate and not so much in a good way. While I'm recording this in Seattle, it is absolutely pouring outside. I hope that all this precipitation will reduce the severity of wildfires next summer, next fall. But long term, I know that this is a topic that we'll need to start planning and designing around much more significantly. And not just wildfire smoke mitigation, but more heat events, cold snaps, flooding. Climate adaptation is foundational to the work we do at Large Lab, and we believe it is something that we really need to be prioritizing and scaling up at an incredible rate. I hope you get some time in the new year to think about how you can do that where you are, how you can incorporate these concepts into the work that you're doing, or perhaps it is something that we can collaborate on together. So please reach out if you have any questions or would like to discuss further. And that's all I've got for this week. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Ciao. Thanks to our listeners for joining us on the Livable Low Carbon City podcast. We'll be back with another episode soon to broaden the discourse and highlight how we can co-create a low-carbon urban future together. If you'd like to know more about what Larch Lab is doing, please subscribe to our monthly newsletter. I'll add the link to the episode notes.